Today in the podcast, we're talking all about growth. Whether you're in a business or running a business, every leader that I know is passionate about growth. That could be personal or it could be commercial. But here's the thing. If you want sustained growth, you need to start with the right foundations. There are some things that you just need to know to make sure you take control of that growth. And today, we're going to explore some of those with my special guest, Jenny Stilwell. Research tells us that just 7% of businesses in Australia break through the $2 million turnover barrier. And my guest today, Jenny Stilwell, is all about raising that percentage. She works regularly with CEOs and teams to help them overcome some of the big roadblocks that stand in the way of growth. Her philosophy is that a business should be an enabler of a better life rather than something that tethers you to it. But here's the thing, whether you're a business owner or an individual leader, the principles that Jenny talks about are powerful foundations for business or leadership growth and impact. And the conversation we have today is going to help you grow. Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Phone Calls with Clever People. Thanks, Shane. I'm really looking forward to this. It'll be great. I know, me too. We we caught up, um, we were just saying maybe a couple of weeks ago, and we have, a, I guess, a mutual connection through Major Street. We've both published books, and you've got a new book that's um, just out from Major Street as well. And so um, there's this kind of mutual connection that we have there, but I was so looking forward to catching up with you because we only had a really brief interaction and chance to have a conversation, uh, but I was so piqued um, in terms of my interest about what you do, uh, that I feel like what you're going to share today is going to be really helpful for my audience. But before we kick off, can I ask you three quick fast facts? And the questions are, uh, where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? Okay. I was born in Melbourne. My first job is kind of hilarious. Um, I was a sales trainee in an IT company and I managed to do a double degree without ever really having anything to do with computers back in the dark ages. And I ended up having to sell them in an IT company. I didn't know what I was doing. It was a disaster. Um, But I saw an opportunity to get into marketing. So I sort of created a position for myself in that same company. And then ended up there for seven years and uh, had fantastic experiences, traveled the world and uh, was in sales and marketing. So that was my... How do you create a position for yourself? (laughs) Do you just say, hey, everyone, just a heads up. I know that I was doing sales, but now I'm doing marketing? Oh, very strategically. Well, I I didn't like trying to sell computers. I knew I was really bad at it. Um, But I loved um, what, you know, I I guess I came to learn was marketing. So it was understanding Mm. positioning in the market and who else was out there. You know, basic marketing 101, which didn't exist in that company. And I saw that I could add quite a lot of value doing that because we source products from overseas. We're part of a global company. And I think the managing director um, probably realized I wasn't adding much value as a sales trainee and gave me a crack at marketing and the rest is history. And then that was my sort of stream all the way through my career, sales and marketing. That's amazing. And so take us uh, from sales and marketing, early career, first job to what, what would you say that you do now? Uh, I'm a strategy advisor and business mentor, and I specifically focus on working with clients in a two to 10 million space, helping them to navigate growth through that space. 
Uh, I run strategic retreats. I mentor CEOs, and um, yeah, I help them on that on that growth path, which oh. I really love doing. I love it. Yeah, that growth path is the one I think that we're going to talk a little bit about today, um, because regardless of whether you are listening and you've just started out in a role or you've taken on your first leadership role whether you're a new CEO, a seasoned CEO, or whether you run a business and you're looking to kind of scale and grow that business, uh, I think the conversation today is going to be really helpful for people. Um, I want to kind of rewind a little bit because we've, we've got from sales and marketing through to helping these businesses scale and grow and do what's required to be able to break through some of those growth barriers. Um, I mean, what's, what's some of the kind of dot points that connect those two, those two lives? Yep. Uh, well, in that first company I mentioned, I, I got to a, a senior sales and marketing role working in the international division of the company, um, and I managed a small team, and um, it, w- it was great experience. And I, I always say, even though a lot of people are running out of corporate now and uh, are wanting to do their own thing or do different things, I think that corporate experience is a great foundation. Because mm. you, you learn about a lot of really important business stuff. So I went from there um, and then I worked for another company, um, which was based in the UK, but um, I was working out here and again, headed up sales and marketing. It was a tech company. Then I started my own marketing consultancy. There was a recession. Um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to get into other companies with the right sort of roles. So I started a marketing consultancy from scratch, as you do, without any Mm. clients. Um, And I grew that for five years. I had a lot of clients in the IT space, but then I grew um, clients in other industries, quite a diverse range of industries. And um, then I was consulting to a company that was doing an acquisition. So I helped them through that whole acquisition merger process and then ended up working in that business and then became the CEO of the company. Mm. And that was a publicly listed company. So that gave me a whole other level of experience. Um, And I think probably what I learned there has given me great foundation for what I do now. And and then when I left there, I um, took some time out and then I started my own consultancy and I worked with clients who'd been where I was, maybe in smaller businesses. Um, and I had fantastic clients and I, I worked with the one-on-one. I helped develop their teams as well as the business grew. I um, had CEO groups that I ran. You know, we did strategic retreats. So whilst I was helping them, I was also learning from them in terms of what they needed and what their challenges were from their perspective. And, um, and then I ended up, uh, after that, stepping into two different clients' companies as CEO. And um, the last one was five years. It was never intended. I went in on a consulting basis, ended up running the company they for five you. years. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I got them through the first year of COVID and then took some time out and said, okay, what do I really want to do? And uh, writing the book was was part of it and being very specific about the clients I work with now um, because I, I really love what I do. So, yeah. you know, everything that we're going to talk about is kind of my passion, really. Yeah, I mean, that what I, what I love about that journey is that 
you've almost had the opportunity to be able to grow into the roles as they've come. So you, you've been able to kind of, um, you know, obviously go from the sales and marketing role to then step into a little bit more kind of a, of a senior role to then take on a little bit more and a little bit more. And over these kind of, um, over the different careers and, and opportunities that you've had, there would be different things that are required of you at each of those levels, I could imagine. So, and uh, when you start out, um, you often think that, uh, I guess, when you take on that first leadership role, that it's, you know, there's only a small amount of growth. And then as you get to, um, you know, more senior leaders, uh, levels of leadership, then there's more growth required. But I don't know about you. I, I feel like that regardless of where you are in your career progression, there are always big areas of growth for each step that you take into a more senior role. Do you experience that or does it get easier when you get more senior or does it get harder when you get more senior or what, what's your perspective on that? Well, I think you and I touched on it. Um, I think the first experience of becoming a manager is extremely hard because you don't know what to do with all these people that you have yeah. to manage. Like you know how to do your own role, but well, now what do I do with this team? And um, I, I think that's why I also believe mentoring is so important. Um, and when you step into a CEO role, it is so different because I've always maintained that a general manager role is is probably one of the hardest that there is because you are a general manager. You're, you're running everything from an operational perspective. But when you step up to be CEO, it's like happy days. I've got this <laughs> team of people and if you're lucky, they're all focused on what they need to do. You know, they're, they're effectively running business or the business unit for you. Um, but then, you know, there's companies and companies. So if you start, you know, working internationally, that's a whole other learning curve and developing mm. products for international markets, that's the learning curve. And running a public company, massive learning curve. So whilst I think you know how to do what you do, um, there's always new growth opportunities and new business situations that, that challenge you, which, yeah. you know, is, is great. That's how we learn. You yeah. I, fly or you fail. I think that's um, maybe not the most encouraging thing for people who are listening to, to, to realize is I think you get into this point where you're like, oh my gosh, I've just taken on this first leadership role. It's so challenging. It's so, you know, there's such a steep learning curve, but don't worry soon I'll be in a more senior leadership position. It's not going to require as much of me. And then all of a sudden you realize the learning doesn't stop. The learning curve doesn't stop. It just looks different. So the skills that you built as strong set of skills early on in leadership, you draw on, but then you get new opportunities to lead through new circumstances. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would have been like for being a CEO leading through COVID. I'm guessing that's a skill set that you needed to draw on as much of your past experience as you could, but would have required a whole new set of skills to learn to lead people through COVID, right? Yeah, that's a really, really good point because the more, the more senior you become, and also with running a business, when you've been through the really messy, difficult stuff that takes you to the edge of your capability, you've got such a big bank of references mm. um, and, and you can always draw on, you have reference points that you can pull in from somewhere uh, that give you new ideas, give you solutions. And, you know, the more experienced you are, the more reference points. But with COVID, none of us had any reference points. 
Yeah. No one did. Um, so it was just a matter of, I guess for me, my default position is we need a plan. Mm. So what can we control? What do we know? And, and start with a plan. Where are the risk points? And still without reference points, but I guess, and this is the only time I've ever said this, I'm just kind of thinking it through, but that's what I did. I defaulted to, you know, how do I manage going through something like this? But for mm. everybody, um, you know, I guess you've just got to uh, think about the situation and, and, and try and work out new paths through. But mm. I guess the thing, you know, we've got so much access to information. We've got access to people all around the world, you know, information that we, we didn't necessarily have even 10, 20 years ago. Mm. So I think everyone's much better placed to be able to navigate their way through challenges. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was thinking of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those rock climbers and um, when they do those kind of free climbing, you see them, um, as they're climbing, they get these little hooks and they, they, they kind of drill them into the wall and they put their kind of, you know, saving line of rope through these things. And so that if they do fall, they've got these kind of anchors to fall back on. And I, when you were saying before, we didn't have any reference points. Like most people were looking during COVID to, I've got to anchor this in something. And you're like, oh gosh, we've never, we've never done this before. And so you were kind of free climbing without that safety rope and you, you yeah. really only had nothing to anchor yourself to. And so just have it coming in with some kind of a plan um, was obviously a really important part of that. Um, I would love to know, I mean, one of the things that we were talking about just before we hit record is you've kind of seen this spectrum and this journey of people from early leadership right through to people who are growing significant international companies and all of these kind of growth hurdles and barriers that they've needed to overcome. And you you had this phrase, you were like, sometimes I, I can see someone in there. It's like they're heading for a cliff and I'm like, stop, like you're, you're heading off the cliff. And I'd love to know what are some of those big things that um, if you were to come in to look at someone going through that journey of growth, you, you see as some really predominant ones that people can fall into the trap of quite easily that might send them off a cliff. Okay. There's, there's a few things. The first is when, when people are say running a business, um, and they, they don't have all the information or they don't get all the information. So they don't know what's profitable, what's costing money. They don't look at the numbers. So I've worked with clients where, um, particularly in the in the race to hit a million turnover or two million, and and they just start to focus on sales and new business, mm. and they they don't really know whether they're making money or losing money. They're just focused on more. So you look at the numbers. I mean, I was with a client the other day, and they have. I don't know, seven, eight hundred stockists. But when we looked at them, there was just that that percentage where the real opportunity lies that is profitable, that offers future potential. And all the others just add complexity, massive amounts mm. of complexity. Um, you know, developing new products. When you stop and look at which ones are making money, where is the margin? You know, what's the actual contribution to the bottom line here? Um, you know, they've got warehouses that are filling up with product and that just adds massive amounts of complexity to the business and they don't actually know 
which ones they should be divesting, which ones they should be investing in. And when you have a look at it, you go, these products here are, are losing. They're costing you. Mm. It's not, oh, you know, more, but we've just got this huge order from this and we've got that. And so that's a big thing, kind of yeah. running blind without really knowing what the numbers are. And, you know, I had a client once and they were so focused on getting to me and then getting to two million. And their focus was more clients, more clients, more clients. But their margins were coming down and down and down. So it was anything to get the business. And it got to the point that they needed to get, you know, say five clients in the, in what they were, the, how they were behaving compared with one client that was more profitable. And they just kept on that path. And all the people in the firm were just beside themselves with exhaustion and we can't manage mm. all these clients. And, you know, the focus was on more, not on quality. And that happens in the race to hit the next target. Okay. Happens a lot. And it's all around the numbers. It mm. really is. Well, I like, the, I like the, the real principle that you said in there of this idea of running blind which is that you don't have all of the information that you need in order to be able to make the best decisions. And I think that's a huge growth barrier that people can find regardless of whether they're running a business or whether they're in leadership is that you get so caught up in the doing or get so caught up in the, um, in the practice or your goals or your objectives that you don't take time to get all the information required to ask, are we actually moving towards the right goals? Are we actually working towards the, you know, the best outcome or are we focusing on sales and getting clients when we're not focusing on our, our actual margins? And so, I mean, if we take that as a, I guess, a, a principle about having all the information, what, what pulls a person out of that strategic headspace that you help people to get into where they do look at all the information and then down into that real transactional work? What, what's the thing that gets them out of that focus? A couple of things. Um, normally... They, they stay in that focus because they don't have anyone around them um, to be able to take that on mm -hmm. or they don't yet trust the people around them and that's all tied up with, talk about that in a second, but um, so they don't have the resources around them and they're still busy focused on the doing. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is if they haven't seen it before, when you actually show it to them, if they're the sort of person who is actually going to take notice of something like this, it's like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't realize that. Wow. And when you suddenly say, have a look at these numbers, this client is actually costing you money. Look how much money this client is making. And this is the difference in the two. You get, you know, 10 more of these or three more of these and you double your business. So that starts a different type of thinking. Mm. Um but it takes a while to get there and normally they, they get there, they're able to get out of that day-to-day -day operational space and look at their, their business more strategically when they've got the right people around them. And that in itself is a whole, whole issue. You know, a lot of the clients I work with in that early stage have what I call the capability gap. So the owner of the business or the leader is, you know, up here with their capability, but the, the next level down is, you know, they're too junior or too inexperienced because they don't want to spend the money on more experienced people. They want to train them in how we do it here, which means they're mm. going to just do what I tell them to do, uh, which isn't helping them achieve any longer-term goals. And so the, the capability gap is massive. So those people that are brought on, 
continually have to go to the leader for clarification, for uh, you know answers, for help, and and then you get into this cycle where the leader says, you know, I'm paying all these people, and I I still have to do all this myself. I might as well do it myself. And so it's just it's it's trying to, and it does take time because they resist, yeah. but. Get, you know, get them to understand that one good person could be two or three junior people, you know, invest. Mm. And I think if people are building their business intentionally, they will eventually see that and invest in those people. And then they start to make that that shift from being less operational, more strategic. But it's, oh, it's that, a complex situation. That's such a helpful piece of advice. Um, I mean, one of the things that, I was reflecting on in my own business over the last five years. Someone said, what's, what's something that you wish you did sooner? And definitely one of my first things was I said, I wish I had got support sooner um, because there were a lot of things that I was doing, not because I couldn't do them, uh, because it was mostly because I could do it pretty well. <laughs> and the problem was, is because I could do a lot of things pretty well, I did a lot of things. And as a result of that, I, I didn't focus my attention or energy on the things that were the most productive and helpful for me to do. And when I brought on my business manager, Baron, um, one of the things that he is so brilliant at is building systems and putting systems in place. And it was something that I was awful at. Um, and he is consistently having conversations with me saying, hey, how do I take some of the things that you're doing off your plate so that you can focus on the things that are going to be the most helpful for the business right now? And I, I love that relationship. And I mean, even if you're in a team, team leaders find this challenge as well. They get promoted into leadership and they think, okay, well, I was really good at all of these things. And now I need to just keep doing those things. And there's a team of people around them who could help carry and support some of that weight. And instead they create that dependency between the leader and the team member. So the team member keeps coming to the team leader saying, hey, you want me to do it this way? So tell me what I should do here. And they go, well, why don't I just do it myself? And so I think the Absolutely. same thing happens, business, leadership, the, the same challenges getting pulled down into the transactional rather than taking time to be strategic and, and look at all the information to digest all the information. Yeah, and that's, that's a really good point. And I think um, when, when things are in the leader's head, you know, this is how I want you to do X, well, let's take it out of your head and, and document it. So what's the end-to-end -end process for, say, developing a new product? Right from we have an idea to it's going to be delivered into stores on the 8th of June. What's the process? And I call that the gating process. So it's, okay, what are all the key steps? What are the timelines between each step? What has to happen at each stage before it can go into the next gate? So does it need sign off? Do you need to, you know, run all the numbers? What needs to happen? And then it goes to the next stage. So New people coming into the company see this and go, oh, okay, great, I get it. Yep, I mm. understand. And the people in the company know how it needs to be done. And then the, the leader has a sense of confidence and comfort that things are going to be done the way they want them to be done, um, you know, without their involvement. So that's a really important step too, just to document those key core processes in the business so everyone's on the same page really really oh, important gosh. 
this the these two contrasting ideas that we've just touched on. So if if people take nothing else out of this conversation today than these two, these will transform a business and a, a leadership role. The first is stop running blind. Make sure you've got the right information that you need in order to be able to make the best decisions, and then get the wrong information or get that information that's just in your head out of your head. So there's almost this exchange that takes place. So you're, especially I know I'm, I'm reflecting on my own leadership. I carry so many things in my mind about the way things should be done or how they should happen. But if you get them out of your mind, it creates clarity for the people that are around you and creates confidence for you as a leader that's going to get done the way it needs to be, needs to be done. Those two concepts are freaking brilliant. It's so important. It's just so important because, you know, I've had, I've had clients complain about their team and, you know, they keep coming to me for answers and, you know, they, they didn't do this when they should have, you know, like all that negative stuff. And it's like, well, there's no one in this whole business that knows every step of the process except you. So let's yeah. get it out of your head, share it with everyone, and we map it out. It's not hard. And uh, everyone's involved. Mm. And particularly for new people, it just makes onboarding so much easier too. Mm. It's, it's really important. And, and it's not hard. It's so important. And so, I mean, let's let's kind of look at some of the other big challenges. So, again, we've we've talked a bit about um, you know not having all the right information to be able to focus on the right things. We've talked about carrying too much um, of the information internally and not creating systems or or processes for you, for other people to be able to help carry some of that responsibility. What are some of the other big barriers that get in the way of people's growth in their business? I think one of them, as, as a company grows and, you know, as I said before, there's more complexity. So there's mm. more people, that, more products, more clients, more accounts that need to be done. Um, there is definitely um, the risk of throwing resources at complexity to fix it. That's where you get the situation where as the business grows, the revenue is climbing, but the profitability is falling. And that's when people start to get a little bit wobbly, like what on earth is going on here? Like, and they start to get a little bit nervous, what's going on? And that's a natural react reaction. You know, your team come to you, we're really overworked, we're stressed, we need a support person, we need this, and you just go, God, yeah, oh, okay, tell me what you need, put it together. And, um, but that's where we go back to what I call the gating process. And let's have a look at what we're doing and how we're doing it. And do we actually need another person or do we just need to streamline our complexity? Do we need to simplify? And, you know, like I've had clients where they've used a certain supplier for a long time because, you know, they're, they're low cost. So, well, hang on a minute. You're, you're upscaling here. You're growing. So they might be low cost, but they're also not that fast either with turnaround. So as you grow, your delivery times are going to stretch out because this supplier is not going to be able to meet your requirements. So let's have a look at efficiencies. You know, how does our end-to-end -end process work? And when you start to look at those things and are, are we being as efficient as we could be and who is doing what and do we have our processes streamlined, sometimes you don't need extra resources. Sometimes you might have too many resources. You just need different resources or more capable mm. or more experienced resources. So that's something that it's really important to, to look at that gating process in the context of 
how you manage complexity and how you make sure efficiency is in the business as you grow. Because otherwise, that's a real danger point where you just throw resources at complexity and your profitability starts to go out the, out the door. That's a big So one. can I use that example that you just gave there? So you might have a supplier who is the cheapest supplier, but their turnaround time and their delivery time is, is significantly longer than other people's. And you, you said there, sometimes we try to throw additional resources at complexity to try and solve the problem. So what would, it be, what would be an example of that? So we might say, for example, their delivery times are too long. And so as a result of that, we're throwing resource at trying to speed up other parts of our business or where, what would be an example of what, of what throwing resources at a complex problem would look like? Uh, where you've got, say, for example, a team of people working in product development, let's say, and they're really stressed out, they're working long hours and there's lots going on and there's new ranges to be developed and so on. And, you know, they need help. They need someone to you know, put all the technical specs together or they need, they need someone to take work off them. And, you know, they present your case that we, we need an admin assistant or we need a product person in here. Um, but when you look at what's being done, you might say, okay, well, that part of it could actually be done in this department or by this person because it fits really well with their skill set. We haven't done it that way before because... They haven't had this situation before. So it's just having a look at how you do what you do and then saying, well, we'll take, we'll take this away from you. We're not going to get another resource to do it, but we're going to do it here or we're going to automate it or we're going to completely change how that's done. So just looking at your business perhaps with different eyes as you grow and as you get to each of those stages where you need to consolidate and kind of regroup and look at how you do what you do. Mm. Yeah, because I think it's a natural tendency to try to solve a problem by putting more effort and resource and energy into the complexity that's around it. And what I'm hearing in this conversation, which I think is a really valuable principle, is to rather than your default position to just be to give more resource and time and energy to something to ask the question is, um, you know, is there a way that we can remove some of the complexity rather than throw more resource at solving the complexity? I, I think of an example of um, a team member who's on a team who comes to their team leader and says, you've, we've, we've got too much work on my plate. We need additional staff. And the default response is to ask for more team members. Yes. Instead of the default response from the leader being, well, what are the things that you're working on right now? And are they the right things that are helping us to achieve our strategic objectives? And then you start to look through the calendar, you start looking through the meetings and you go, oh my gosh, you're in five meetings that you don't need to be in. Uh, you're working on this, this, and this, which is not an, imp an important priority for us right now. And the moment you start to remove some of those things, they go, oh, I feel like I now have margin and breathing space again. So that principle of of not just throwing more resource at a com complex issue, I think is a really valuable principle. Yeah. And I mean, even if you look at a sales team, um, you know, you can restructure that as well in a growing business. So instead of looking after all the clients, you know, in the same way, you, you tier them. So, okay, these are our tier one clients. This is tier two and tier three, we're going to look after completely differently. 
So suddenly you don't need all those resources or you don't need more resources. You just manage manage your growing client base more efficiently. So it's just mm. taking a, a, a fresh look at how you do what you do, whether it's an individual or a, a team or a company. Mm. I feel like so many of the principles we've talked about in this episode come back to that broader principle of just getting a bit of perspective and getting your head out of the detail of some things and just getting that space. And I, I, I'm sure that's one of the big reasons why people would work with you to, is to bring someone else who can help lift their eyes a little bit and get them out of the detail, bring an external perspective, help them see some of the things that they've been looking at the same way for a long period of time. Um, I mean, we might, we might have maybe time for, uh, there'll be a whole range of things about growth barriers, but is there one other thing that comes to mind as a, a, as a quick thought that um, is potentially someone walking towards a cliff that they uh, would, you know, um, quickly fall into the trap of? I think um, having a strategy is critical because that involves the mm. whole team. And again, that aligns everyone and gets them all on the same page. And I use something that I call a decision-making framework. So, you know, when you've got, say, 10 different opportunities that you're looking at for growth, and they could be small, they could be big, they could be quantifiable or not. Um, it's, it helps you um, with clarity and certainty and confidence if you can put them through this framework to assess each of those opportunities on criteria mm. that match back with your business and where it's at at the moment. Because mm. then you can go, well, clearly these are our top three. We can delete some of those. We can put some of those more into the next year or the year after. But right now, these are our top three priorities. And that's something that every time I do that with clients, they just love it. Like, oh, my God, because it just helps make strategic decisions. Otherwise, it's sort of a bit of guesswork and, you know, we're going to get it right. Um, But having a framework for those strategic decisions is really critical. Otherwise, you're not quite sure why you're going where you're going and if it's going to be the right decision. I'm so glad you said this because this was just something that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago with one of my coaching clients uh, who's running a startup and uh, he was going over to the US to meet with a whole bunch of um, VCs and um, to basically network and connect with some people and, and get some advice on where they should be going next. And knowing that he was about to walk into an environment full of opinions and advice I asked him that question. I said, what is your decision-making framework? How do you know how to distinguish between what is good advice and what's bad advice or what's well-meaning advice, but not helpful advice? And he, he kind of took a moment and said, I'm not really sure. And so one of the things we did is we sat down and built a bit of a filter or a pipeline so that he could run each decision through a filter to drop out the bottom. What was the right decision for his business? And I actually think having some kind of internal decision-making frame, uh, framework as a mental model for yourself is helpful for business, but also just in your day-to-day life. Everyone needs some kind of dis- mental decision-making framework. I mean, if someone was looking to build that, they go, oh my gosh, I don't have anything to help me make good decisions. Where do you start? Where do you, I mean, what are some, do you have any frameworks that you use or can you point people in the direction of some some models to look up? Uh, I've developed one through years of working with my clients and mm. You know, it includes looking at things like, um, you know, is this, does this opportunity align with our vision or mm. does this opportunity match our current business model? 
does it need additional infrastructure or investment? So you can look at it within a, say, a 12-month time frame and go, well, this one we, we think we need to do a bit more work to quantify it, but we think this could be a really big direction for growth, but we need to spend the next six months just doing some work on really putting, scoping that out. Um, but then other things you go, well, this is really going to need quite a bit of capital investment. It's going to be probably a new business model. It's not something that really fits with where we're going at the moment. So criteria like that, that match back to the business and the business model and, um, you know, the resourcing, that helps filter opportunities. So that's what I use in the business sense. And then, you know, I always use the guiding light of values and purpose. I think they always help enormously too. If, you, if you're faced with a decision and you, you go back to your values, how does it sit with my values? Mm. It's, it's a super important one. That, that help create, helps create a deeper sense of alignment around your decision-making too. And it helps yeah. bring some conviction to the decisions that you make. I mean, if people are looking for, um, I mean, the, the most basic one that I, that I thought of was obviously the Eisenhower matrix is just a good example of a um, decision-making matrix to know, okay, if I, if I, do I, um, do I delegate something? Do I get rid of it? Uh, do I do it now or do I do it later? Um, that is just an example of a mental model that you can have so that when you have a decision to make, you're looking at your work, you go, okay, what, what do I do with this? Do I delegate it? Do I get rid of it? Do I do it now? Or do I do it later? It just gives you that immediate um, confidence that um, you can make a decision when the time comes. Uh, but it also allows you to, I mean, schedule your day. It allows you to focus on the most important tasks. But there would be plenty of models. I mean, if you just looked up some decision-making models, there'd be plenty out there that can give you a framework so that you can have some confidence and convictions in your decisions. Yeah, they're really, really important. And it's amazing that that so many business owners don't have them, have never thought about them and make decisions from a deep gut instinct or, you know, variations on that. But once they have the framework, they just have that overlay of confidence, which is yep. really important. Yeah. And I would, and, and maybe one other one is, is even the level of consistency in your decision-making. I think one of the things that's quite challenging when you're, when you're learning as a leader is that you make decisions in one moment that you make a very different decision in another moment because of, you know, experience and learning and time. Whereas if you've got some kind of decision-making framework, then you have a criteria in which to evaluate your decisions. So your decision-making becomes a lot more consistent to the people around you. And there's a little bit more predictability to your decision-making as opposed to having to explain everything that you do to everybody because it chaps and changes from time to time. Um, I honestly, I'm finding this conversation so helpful. And um, I, I want to touch briefly on, you, you've got a book out, it's called The 7% Club. Um, and can you, can you give us a quick snapshot of what the 7% club is? 7% of companies in Australia are able to grow beyond $2 million in turnover. And the figures, and I didn't believe it when I first saw wow. it. And um, so I had a look at um, research for the US and the UK, and the numbers are similar. So... Um, which I, I find it's just quite amazing. But um, yeah. so the book is about the challenges. Once you get to that two million mark, what are the challenges um, that can stop you from from going beyond that? 
And, you know, we've, we've talked about some of the challenges today. Um, you know, we've, we've also talked about culture and leadership as well, you know, that, that goes into the mix. But once a company gets to, say, a million and a half, two million, they can probably get there with few resources and, and, and they can make it. But once they want to go beyond that, they need to shift many things and run their business quite differently. And that's what the book covers. What are the main challenges? What are the shifts that need to be made? And there's lots of, um, you know, interviews with people who've, who've got through there, what their business lessons are. There's all sorts of tools and frameworks to help. Um, so, yeah, it covers off what the challenges are once you go beyond that mark. It's so, it's so confronting, but I could understand why, given some of the challenges that we've talked through today, I can understand why people will hit a ceiling or will struggle to get past some of those growth barriers if they're not considering some of the things we've talked through. Um, I mean, just reflecting on the conversation, there's a few big standout ideas for me. Uh, the first one for me was just make sure you have all the information. Don't run blind in your business or even in your leadership. Take the time to get out of that day-to-day -day transactional stuff that's pulling you down into the detail. Make sure you get the right information in your head. And the second one was don't run blind. Uh, sorry, get the information out of your head, which is make sure that you've all the stuff that you're carrying as a leader that people around you can't help support you with because it's in your head. Get it out into systems and processes so that it can be done consistently consistently by other people, but you can also have confidence that it's getting done the way that you want it to happen. Um, don't just throw resources at complexity. Um, find ways to simplify that complexity um, and look at that kind of gating process that I really like that you talked about. Go back to get the right information so that you can simplify some of that complexity and then find a really strong decision-making framework that's going to help you make consistent decisions that you can feel confident in that are aligned to your business and aligned to your values. I mean, just those four principles alone, if people take those away and apply them, will be transformational, not just for their business, but also in their leadership. Um, Jenny, yeah. I want you to imagine that you've got a little soapbox to stand on for the next 60 seconds and you're not talking to me, but you're talking to everybody who's listening right now. Um, obviously, the thing that you're passionate about is, is how to become one of those 7% of businesses that make it beyond that $2 million in turnover. So whoever you want to talk to right now, whoever you want to imagine in your mind right now, you've you got 60 seconds on a soapbox. What's the one thing that you'd want to say to them? And it's okay if you want to get a little bit uh, soapboxy. <laughs> well, I think if you want to grow a business or you want to be a good leader, you need to um, do it with intention. You've got to be really intentional about what you're doing. And you need to have a plan. You need to get advice. Uh, you need to run the numbers all the time. You really do need to understand the numbers. And I think you, you need to learn that the only way you can grow is to get good people around you. You know, it, it's, uh, it's a cliche. You can't do it all on your own. It can't, you know, and you, you get a great team around you. Even if you can't afford a great team, you just get one great person, maybe part-time, and trust that they are really good at what they do and let them do it and know that ultimately if you are going to build a business or a business unit or a division, you need to be the leader, not the doer. And that's just really important. And You need to understand what the CEO lens is. How does a CEO see a business? And it's far more strategic. And you need to make, make that shift from operational to strategic if you want to grow a company.
I love it. I love it. I know that it's going to be so helpful for people. I mean, Jenny, what's the the best way for people to be able to engage with you, to be able to, I mean, either bring you in to work with their business, to get a bit of perspective, to to implement some of the conversations and much more that we've talked about today. How do people connect with you? Uh, well, my website, it's Jenny Stillwell, one L in the middle and two on the end, jennystillwell.com.au. And uh, Jenny Stillwell on LinkedIn. They're probably the two best ways. My contact details are there. Yep. And um, yeah. Yeah. That would be- we'll put those in the show notes for people to be able to connect with you. And, and oh, typically, who would be the people that, um, I mean, you're obviously a coach, but what would be the, some of the main ways that people would work with you um, if they were running a business and decided to kind of bring you in? A couple of ways. Number one, um, to work with me for a period of say six to 12 months to put a lot of these things in place. And that can be done in more of a consulting arrangement if they want more of a, a done for you approach, or I can work with them, um, you know, via Zoom um, as well. Um, or yeah, it could be a, a, a mentoring arrangement where I'm working with a CEO or a business leader to help them implement these things with their team. So it's amazing. It's options. Yeah, absolutely. So we encourage people to reach out to, to Jenny. Um, you've got a book out um, from Major Street called um, The 7% Club, How to Be One of the 7% of Businesses That Make It Beyond $2 million in Turnover. And you also have a, another book called The Small Business CEO. Yeah. Uh, what? Give us a quick snapshot. What was that book about? Uh, that was basically the four stages of growth that CEOs go through from uh, early stages through to getting their business ready for sale, very high level. But what are the the top three challenges in each stage, and what are the top three corresponding strategies in each stage? Just to keep it simple and give people a clear path. Amazing, amazing. Well, congratulations on the latest book. Um, I'm I'm so happy to um, be in good company amongst our major street family. Um, and I wish you all the best with the book. Can't wait to see it on a bookshelf. And if you do see it on a bookshelf somewhere, take a photo of it, send it through to Jenny. I know as an author, whenever someone sends me a photo of the book spotted in a bookstore somewhere, it's always really encouraging and really exciting. But thank you so much for taking time to join me on the podcast today. Thanks, Shane. It's been fantastic. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.